Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Yeah, welcome, 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 welcome. You are listening to uh, the latest installment of Rated LGBT Radio. Um, I am your host, Rob Watson, and today we are talking about a pretty pertinent issue, um, one that is a little bit under the radar because of everything that's going on in the world right now. We've got, you know, the the pandemic, um, vaccines are a big topic of conversation, the impeachment um, going on in the Capitol right now, uh, very dramatic, very big. Uh, we've got the Biden administration just launching, and of course Joe Biden is is executive ordering all over the place uh, like there is no tomorrow. And amongst all this, um, because you know they have nothing better to do, um, there are people in the conservative uh, wing of our political um, reality that are attacking trans kids, and they're doing it in. Um, state houses across the country. Um, these bills are making their way through. Uh, they're doing it in conservative publications. Nikki Haley just wrote an op-ed um, in, I think it was a National Review. Uh, so they are, are starting to um, collect around this as a culture war issue. And of course, it's it's one of those ones that is really a, a bullying thing in, in its inception because we're talking about a a small minority of, of kids and, um, you know, it is a full-on attack on them like there is no tomorrow. Um, I think I already see that for Biden, but anyway. Um, so some of the people that have been talking about it Republican Tennessee Governor Bill Lee said Wednesday that transgender girls should be banned from playing on middle and high school sports teams or they will destroy women's sports. And uh, Representative Mike Lee uh, from Utah said, when transgender athletes compete against women, women's sports are no longer women's sports. They become unisex athletic events. Um, even uh, tennis star Mar- Martina Navitrola jumped in on uh, Biden's executive order, making sure that, um, and, quote, an all-inclusive situation where trans men and women, just based on their self-ID, would be able to compete with no mitigation, no rules outside of that whatsoever, and that clearly would not be a, a level playing field. So she's proposed a, quote, science-based ethical approach to, quote, establish a middle ground that both protects girls and women's sports and accommodates transgender athletes. And then, of course, Nikki Haley in her op-ed said, if this trend isn't stopped, the achievement of so many brave women over so many years will be erased. So, yes, everyone is very hysterical because uh, the woman experience as we know it will soon come to an end, and um, yeah, and that's that, um, according to them. So meanwhile, in the uh, publication, The L.A. Blade, 
Um, there was a recent um, op-ed article published that explained the facts and reasonable approaches behind um, trans kids participating in sports. Um, but even that article was met with disdain by some who are fighting for transgender rights. So today we're going to talk, um, we're going to get in the weeds on this a little bit. Um, we're going to talk to Brody Levesque, who is uh, obviously the co-host of this show, but he is also the editor of the LA Blade, and we're going to hear about the feedback he got from that article. And then, of course, we're going to touch base with our favorite analyst, Bryn Tannehill, who is also author of Everything You Want to Know About Being Trans, But We're Afraid to Ask, and we are going to bravely ask the questions of her and um, get some real answers to all this. So welcome, sit back, enjoy. Um, uh, we're in for quite a ride today, as always. And with that, I want to welcome to the show um, co-host Brody Levesque. Brody, you've been watching the uh, um, impeachment hearings. What's going on with all that? Well, the House managers in Washington just rested their case, and tomorrow at noon, the uh, defense team for former President Donald J. Trump uh, will commence uh, their defense. Most analysts, uh, including this reporter, uh, are barely convinced that uh, the House managers did not only an effective job, uh, but overwhelmingly proved their case. Um, I think that uh, what's critical to note is almost that entire team of House managers is made up of former prosecutors. Uh, so they did an effective uh, job of connecting the dots and in a string of evidentiary videos, tweets, uh, and uh, comments that were strung together by the House managers, painted the picture for the senators in that chamber uh, as to the events leading to the conclusion uh, that the House came to when they impeached Trump uh, for inciting uh, the riot. Um, it was at times difficult to watch. Uh, it was uh, heart-rendering to see some of the scenes uh, from the perspective of the body cams of Capitol uh, Police officers as they're getting pummeled. Uh, there was, of course, the disturbing video of, the, uh, of one of the insurrectionists uh, being shot and killed by a Capitol Police officer uh, defending lawmakers. Uh, you know, overall, it... Uh, it, it was a situation uh, where I think that uh, the House managers were able to just lay the case out there, not just only for the Senate, but for the American people. Right. That, you know, Trump had a lengthy history of stirring the pot and, of you know, calling for things and calling for action uh, that, quite frankly, was very nationalistic, hyper-nationalistic for that matter. Um, diversive of any kind of rights, and it was definitely geared towards, you know, his base and keeping him in power, um, and that, you know, it doesn't take rocket science to do two plus two equals four when it comes down to the last speech he gave on the ellipse that morning, which set all those folks off towards Capitol Hill, and then the ensuing six or seven hours of mayhem um, in the halls of Congress. Um it was a little chilling uh, to see some of the video, uh, but I, you know, at the end of the day, um, and I'm not definitely not a fan of the Trump administration or any of its former officials. Uh, I felt sorry for uh, 
Vice President Mike Pence, as you're hearing, you know, these Trump supporters, you know, screaming, where is he? Find him, hang him, hang Mike Pence repeatedly. Uh, and similar awful things about Speaker Pelosi and other members uh, of the House. Um, this was a violent insurrection and predicated on the evidence uh, that uh, the House managers, and my, my hats are off to uh, Representative Raskin of Maryland in particular, uh, for doing a brilliant job of, of calmly, matter-of-factly laying the evidence out there. And really now the onus is on Senate Republicans. Uh, I think there's absolutely um, no doubt where the Senate Democrats in the, uh, are going to go with this one. Right. But it's really up to, you know, get the House Republicans, you know, to either, as as we'll point it out to them, you know, this this is germane to the whole issue of the American democracy. If you do not convict this guy, you let this go. You're leaving the door open for something worse in the future because you've just rendered everything meaningless in terms of the Constitution. Tomorrow, of course, right. we get to see the start of the Trump defense, um, and and we'll have to see you know where it goes from there. Yeah, um, a couple of questions for you because yeah. one of the things that that it seems to me that needs to be tied in um, to really, you know, put Trump in this um, horror show that, that he absolutely created, but was whether he um, was, whether his intention was to have it go that far. And I think there are things that, because I've worked for CEOs, and CEOs are tricky because they um, have this way of giving orders, but giving them in a way that uh, they have deniable um, um, culpability. Um, even though they're giving the order, they're not saying it so that, you know, it's like you know what they're saying, but they don't actually say it, so it's not on the record, et cetera. Um, and he seems to be, you know, quite a master at doing that. But he, some of the things to me that, that I don't know that they brought up was going back to Hillary Clinton where he was actually calling on Second Amendment people, you know, that if she won, you know, it's like that they needed to, you know, essentially he was hinting that she needed to be assassinated, um, you know, at that time. And there were reports of, of while the rioting was going on, that in the White House in those few hours before he released that ridiculous video where he, he told the insurrectionists that he loved them, um, um, during that time, he was walking around wanting to know why the other staff members weren't more thrilled to see the reports of what was going on about the insurrectionists entering the Capitol. And to me, those that behavior underscores his intent um is is that being brought up enough in your opinion or that, there, all, there, or? yeah it was brought up and and it was covered um it, you know any any reasonable sane person can connect the dots between the rhetoric and the implied or outright call for action okay strung out over all the years that he's been, you know, in the public eye in terms of the presidency, 
going back to actions at rallies in 2015, you know, during that campaign. There, there is, in fact, you know, a track record here with Trump. And, uh, from, and, and the House managers showed video, and the House managers showed tweets. And there's absolutely no doubt that his words incited this action, but it was right. a cumulative total of years of his, you know, inflammatory statements and remarks. Uh, you know, the House managers effectively brought up uh, the situation uh, with uh, Michigan uh, Governor Whitmer and and exactly how Trump uh, basically poured petrol on the fire uh, of uh, unrest in, that led to the actual storming of the Michigan State Capitol building. And then right. within a month or two of that, uh, the Bureau's arrests of people that were going to kidnap Governor Whitmer and then execute her. So it, it, the House managers did did a very decent job of, in a very linear fashion, laying out virtually every single thing uh, that would lead, you know, these forces to be compelled to do this. And I think that the other thing that the House managers did uh, was they laid out a bitter truth about you know, the American Republic and the American democracy that these people exist. These people are dangerous. And Trump came along and I've said this for years. I've said it on this program. Trump in many ways is just a symptom of a larger cancer. And right. the, re- the, yeah. the result of which was what we saw in the events that culminated with the violence on January the 6th, which was, Quite frankly, an insurrection. It wasn't a riot. I won't call it that. It was an insurrection by a mob touched off by the president of the United States, and the intent of which was to nullify and overturn the results of an election and to retain power. That is an attempted coup. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, well, great, great insights. And, um, yeah, we'll see how this goes. The Trump team has signaled that they are not likely to even want to take up the whole time that they've been given in the defense. Um, what are people saying that that is signaling? Well, they don't have much of a case. I think all of us pretty much, even senior Republicans, and I, I've talked to many uh, Republican uh, lawmakers confidentially. I've talked to lawyers who are uh, – they lobby for Republican interests. I, there's generally a universal agreement that um, the defense team sucks. <laughs> there's just no other way yeah. of putting it. Uh, the, the House managers actually ended uh, their work five to six hours ahead of the time that was allotted for them. Uh, and they had a more compelling case, I think. Uh, I, we're going to have to wait and see what Trump's attorneys come up with. Um, the constitutionality part of it got shot down, so now it's into the, you know, into the nuts and bolts of, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, what you're effectively going to do uh, with this con- with this conviction. The reality of this conviction is that all it does is bar him from ever holding office again, and it forever, you know, leaves him in historical, you know, context as an American authoritarian and, and, and wannabe dictator. And that would be the legacy. And I think that every sitting member 
uh, of that Senate understands that. But the larger problem is that the and, and Bren, who is also author of a book that's going to be publishing here very shortly, points out that this is American fascism. This is American authoritarianism. There is an undercurrent of this and that if these Republicans sitting in the Senate do not convict this guy, they are basically giving that, you know, they're giving more oxygen, you know, to the situation. And this is probably good enough for a topic for a whole different show. And so I won't even go down there, but it just basically is giving oxygen to something that is going to be a continuing headache uh, for, you know, uh, well, for the process in the American political landscape for quite a while. Uh, right. And well, it's so being inflamed by the media. Yeah. So let's give oxygen to our topic at hand. So um, before we bring, bring Brent on, um, you had published an op-ed in the mm-hmm. L.A. Blade that kind of explained in very rational terms um, what the situation is for transgender teens in sports, um, why the hysteria around it is way overblown, um, and, you know, the reasonable biological discussion behind it. Um, even with that, though, you got pushed from people who are pro-trans. What, what was that pushback like and about? Um, I'm not going to name check them, but these are leading people uh, in the movement. Uh, particularly within the trans activist community, um, they bottom line have taken a hardline position that trans is trans, period, and stop, that's it, you're done. Um, and they're not willing to listen to uh, attempting to find a middle ground um, uh, to be, as President Biden would put it, find a bipartisan approach to a compromise that's workable that wouldn't damage young trans athletes and at the same time would open up more understanding and discussion and, quite frankly, educating uh, the hardliners that are completely opposed to transgender rights, particularly um, trans youth. You actually, ironically, just gave me an opening, which I'm going to take, Heron Greensmith is an attorney. She's a senior research analyst uh, for the uh, think tank Political Research Associates. This is a highly respected progressive think tank uh, located in Somerset, Massachusetts. And um, Ms. Greensmith ran across something that the right wing probably didn't want out there, probably didn't intend to put out there, but a state representative from Ohio uh, her staff apparently talked to the local paper called The Daily Advocate, which is in Greenville, Ohio, and it laid out a document. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to you because this is germane to some of the pushback I got, but also some of the things that Brent will be talking about, and it's kind of important. So the dayline is Columbus. State Representative Jenna Powell on Monday signed her support to the Promise to American Children a collaborative effort between the Family Policy Alliance, the Heritage Foundation, and the Alliance Defending Freedom that outlines 10 guiding principles to protect children in America. The goal of this initiative is to rally support for legislation that promotes pro-family, poor religious freedom policy, okay? 
Representative Powell said this, in today's age, our children are constantly exposed to explicit adult content through social media, entertainment, cultural forces, and oftentimes our own government. We have a collective responsibility to protect the health, privacy, safety, and relationships of children in America. Then it lists out all 10 of them, okay? One of them, okay, that it lists out has to be, uh, I mean, has to be, is directed actually about sports and participation, okay, of trans people. Now, in doing some research, uh, the attorney from political research uh, associates, Ms. Greensmith, suddenly realized this hasn't gotten out in a while, which means this has been a private thing that's being passed around to lawmakers. Why that is important is because we have all of these states raising these issues. You mentioned Governor Lee of Tennessee, the uh, governor of Mississippi just said something very publicly about this. Brent, of course, will brief us on the rest of the states. And part of this also is because we've long suspected that this legislative effort had powerful backing and an underlayment, but we've never seen anything publicly about it until this piece just suddenly came out Monday in this little paper in Ohio with this Ohio representative who obviously didn't realize, yeah, we're not supposed to talk about that. We just sign off on it, and there'll be a big announcement later. Well, apparently one of her staffers or someone screwed up, and it's out in the wild now. The people that are pushing back against me and some of the others that are talking about this, I think is because they're taking the hardline position, which directly contrasts with what I just spoke about, that the PRA attorney just laid out, that that state representative laid out. So there's your opposing forces. And the problem is you're not getting into a middle ground with this one. Um, and with both sides holding hard on, you know, positions, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to bridge this. The ultimate losers in all of this are these trans athletes, these kids. Okay. And also right. keeping in mind that these children are in a period of change in adolescence and growth from age 14 to my former wife is a pediatric surgeon. I think she said to me one time, adolescence is about roughly 14 to 24. So you got a 10 year spread in there. A lot of changes in the body, a lot of changes, you know, in, in chemical structure and blah, 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 blah. And so this is all very germane and pertinent to it. Um, and the argument that the people have, against coming to the halfway point, at least from the trans and LGBT movement side, is the trans is trans parade and stopped, no discussion. Well, there's a harsher reality that goes with that, but I'll let Bryn address that. So that's kind well, of well, the background you, yeah. of all of that. But specifically, when you publish this article, um, mm -hmm. did they just send you an email saying trans is trans, or did they? what was their specific issue with the article you published? They actually pulled it apart. There were about two or three things that they really didn't like, um, and it was in context to what was being said, um, that they they were taking the hard line of um, the word Benedict Arnold was had, <laughs> traitor was actually used. Um, and, and I think it was because they felt offended that, you know, someone was trying to say, well, look, Maybe we should examine this issue for what it really is, not what we want it to be. And I think, as I pointed out to one of them, everybody was so heavily traumatized by the last four years of the Trump administration that everybody has a tendency to have a knee-jerk reaction. I think that we need to take a step back and just take a little bit of a breath, a collective sigh of relief, and then we need to refocus our energies on these things. But we need to do it in such a way 
where we're not busy, so busy fighting each other that we're not battling the larger issue. And that's really you know, where the problem is. Brody, the thing that I'm trying to get, that I'm trying to uh, sort of want to understand briefly is what specific points did they consider to be traitorous in that article? I did not see anything in that article that would have, I would have thought wasn't completely reasonable. Uh, just there, briefly, there's what, a certain, well, there's a certain dogma. Uh, and again, uh, you know, I'm wandering into an area that, you know, I'm trying desperately to stay out of because I'm not an MD. Okay. Um, there is an area during a transition for athletes, and now we're, and this is what they're what they're objecting to, uh, has to do over the biological differences, and particularly when it comes down, and we're talking more trans females in this regard than we are trans males, uh, when it comes down to testosterone and levels and effect on athletic performance and um, that sort of thing. Let me pull one up. Uh, let's see. Okay, one of the points they didn't like was they weren't they they didn't agree with the fact that the end the NCAA and the International Olympic Committee um, have kind of taken a middle ground on this. They don't see it that way. Um, one of the things that and I have to explain this to our uh, our listeners the. NCAA and the IOC, uh, when it comes down to athletes, and mind you, these are athletes ranging from 17, 18 up, okay, is there's a requirement for trans women that they have to undergo at least a minimum of one year of surgical or hormonal uh, testosterone suppression. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that's been kind of a, of a key thing. The, the argument from the other side is that's not necessary because it's not giving anybody an edge. So you've got some grouping of people saying, well, wait, it does give them an edge. And others are saying, oh, no, it doesn't. The purists, if you will, or the people that are upset about this are like, you know, this needs to be delineated as it shouldn't be. Just because one grouping has this policy doesn't necessarily mean, and it should be mentioned, that that's the way it ought to be. That was one thing. Uh, We could be here for hours going through this thing. Let me just pick one more thing. Um, What was the other thing they got? really upset about I think it was used it was it was the word sufficient to set the, the one person off um, let's see if I can find it now uh, um, oh, here it is okay so one of the things that was said, uh, they were talking about whether or not trans athletes um, have a significant impact on women's sports, because that's really what we're talking about here, uh, is whether or not they're succeeding at a rate disproportionate to the population. The argument was made when standards like the, N, uh, the NCAA and IOCs are applied, okay, there's been fewer trans athletes to the random draw of the population which would indicate that the standards have generally been sufficient, generally been sufficient. Okay. They want that as no, that's not true. It's generally insufficient because people are being stifled because of gender. And again, the whole argument revolves around, you know, the the physiological part of it, which the NCAA and the IOC have addressed, but for the high, for the hardliners, 
that's not that's not where we need to be. You know, the the hard dogma is trans is trans period and stop. Okay. On the right, right, their argument is well, wait. Okay, a person in transition who hasn't begun a hormonal—that's um, really what we're talking about here—a hormonal medical regimen is still going to have an edge on the exact counterpart biological female, and, and this is what's touched it off. So you've got hardliners saying you can't—that's discriminatory, transphobic, blah blah blah. You got the right saying, well, you can't do this because of female. And in the middle ground someplace is probably where the reality needs to be. And right. that's where the basis of the argument is right there. Right. Right. And that's, that's the thing. The right actually is saying, you know, they don't care if anybody's on a hormonal track or not. They're just saying, if you were born, you know, um, the way we think you were born, that's where you are forever. That's the right is, is saying that's that. the right position. So, correct. Yeah, exactly. So okay, well, let's, I'm sure we Brynn is probably chomping the bit to get in on this, um, uh, so we keep talking around her. Brynn, welcome to the show. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> our our pleasure, um, Brynn. So you've heard what we've been talking about um, uh, about the extreme points of view that are, are coming at this. Um, what? What is reasonable? What, what, where should this end up? So let's, let's set some baseline facts here before we start the discussion, okay? Uh, the NCAA has had a policy in place that Brody described since 2011. In that time, there have been about 2 million uh, women athletes who have, who have competed in NCAA sports. Uh, only a small fraction of them have been trans, and none of them has been dominant at a Division I level. We've had one transgender track athlete who won the 60-meter hurdles at Division II level, um, but her time uh, in that event wouldn't have even been good enough to get her into the finals at Div one, Division I. Um, so we haven't we've allowed transgender women to compete at the NCAA level uh, with a policy that just requires hormone suppression for one year, for, for 10 years, and in that time, we've hardly seen any trans athletes at all. Um, and none of them, and the ones that we have seen, uh, a few have done well, but none of them has been setting records or dominating, um, and particularly so the, at the Division uh, the, I level. So the destruction of women's Sports as we know it is um, not in evidence. Uh, rumors of its demise are greatly exaggerated. There you um, go. <laughs> if, if trans people are going to finish off women's sports, they've been doing an absolutely terrible job of it at the uh, coll- collegiate and professional and international Olympic committee or uh, Olympic level because there have been no trans athletes. We might have one or two, maybe, at the, at the Tokyo Olympics this year. Um, one of them might be a medal contestant, but we're not sure. It depends if she's healed up from injury. Um, but still, uh, since the Olympics have allowed tra- trans people to compete starting in 2004, no trans athletes and obviously none have won medals out of 20,000 people competing, right? So whatever rules are in place... Um, certainly aren't so permissive that 
uh, it lets trans women just dominate the sport. So we can rule that out. That's, um, and then for kids who ha- uh, are below the age of puberty, it doesn't really matter um, where, but g- jumping back, uh, so right-wing legislators really don't like to talk about the college issue uh, or don't acknowledge it or don't, um, don't really understand the issue fully. Uh, they just think men and women's sports bad. Um, so let's talk about kind of like the five levels of positioning for th- this issue when it comes to high school athletes and why each of those positions has some pretty ugly problems, right? Um, so the farthest right extreme is ban them all. You compete in whatever division you were born in. But that has the problem of for um, – Transmasculine athletes who take testosterone, uh, you're going to have issues like Mac Beggs, who was a wrestler and a trans man, and he took testosterone, and he was absolutely destroying everybody in, tex- in Texas girls wrestling. He wanted to wrestle with the boys but wasn't allowed to. Conversely, uh, trans girls who never go through male puberty uh, because they're following the current protocols for uh, trans youth, um, never, never develop as boys. So um, the, there's really no argument that they could ever compete in boys' sports effectively anyway. The, so that's problematic, right? You're going to create ugly problems for yourself if you take the hard, hard right uh, extreme. The, almost as extreme is, okay, well, let the trans boys uh, can be, compete in the boys' division, but no trans girls, right? Girls, trans girls have to compete as boys. The problem is, is that when you single out uh, a particular gender, you're not applying gender-based standards equally, right? Uh, so that starts running into civil rights laws, right? Oh, ow, okay. So that's been proposed by some right-wing legislators. <clears throat> then you have um, some variation of um, high school athletes should follow NCAA standards or maybe varsity athletes or maybe varsity athletes. Um, this is Nobody's ever come up with a, a policy um, that, that addresses this fully, right? Um, right. Now, the, the big downside to this kind of approach is um, it's not very. It's not fleshed out. Um, it's going to disproportionately affect um, trans girls of color and trans people of color who don't have access to medical care. Um, it's going to cut off opportunities for trans people of color in athletics um, because they can't get the medical care they need, um, or they're being um, being held out of athletics for a year while they wait. Um, so that has that's that's a significant downside to that option as well, right? right in a practical sense. Um, then the next step is um, essentially some people argue that uh, testosterone doesn't have uh, any real effect uh, on athletic performance. Uh, that trans women are women and trans girls are girls, and uh, just taking a um, let people self-identify. Testosterone doesn't matter anyway. Um, there's some people that that there's a there isn't a great deal of um, 
a great body of evidence on this. Uh, this right. goes against the findings of uh, the IOC and the NCAA, but there is some smaller contradictory body of evidence that suggests uh, that testosterone may not play the role that uh, they say it does. Um, and then the final and then kind of the most extreme position on the other end is um, it doesn't matter if testosterone has any kind of effect anyway. Some people just naturally have advantages over others. I'm five foot four. There is never going to be a pro basketball career uh, for me. Uh, I was never going to dunk a basketball. Um, my vertical is measured in centimeters. Um, you know, a Michael Phelps is a freak of nature. Um, so the right. a, kind of a, a, a most out there is, is that trans people deserve to identify as they wish um, and that they should be treated legally, fully, uh, as the way they would like to be treated. And that even if testosterone does, uh, confer some advantage that, well, everybody has genetic advantages or disadvantages in athletics. Uh, Michael Phelps is a freak of nature, right? Um, and I've seen that comparison made as well. Um, that one, uh, again, kind of runs into um, there is a substantial body of scientific evidence that says, yeah, no, um, and that one, that approach is also going to um, serve as an effective rallying point for the right, right? Um, uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of a so, summary so the, of the, the range of positions possible on this. Yeah, yeah so the, the body of evidence you're talking about is that, that, that does indicate that testosterone is a factor in, in – in whatever formation in a person that could give them prowess in athletics. Is that, is that right? So right now um, that body of evidence that testosterone is a factor is a body of evidence that the IOC and the NCAA is accepting. Uh, there's other people that are pushing other bits of evidence uh, that, that to say that no, it doesn't play the role that the IOC and the NCAA um, say it does, um, or there's, or there, there's, like I said, there are others that say, well, uh, they, ex- they accept the role of testosterone, but they say that civil rights and human rights demand that trans people, um, be allowed to compete in the gender with which they identify. Um, now this, the, that, bluntly uh, creates some optics issues um, right. that, that, the, that the right is exploiting at this point. Um, yeah, the, the right is making and, it yeah, and, that, but, that everybody is and, that way. Yeah. And Biden's press secretary um, essentially addressed this by saying trans rights are human rights. Um, as um, basically taking the approach that uh, tr- uh, transgender civil rights, uh, as Biden said back in 2013, are going to be the civil rights issue of our time. Um, and I think that he's very, he and his administration are very much sticking to that assessment. Let me interrupt for a second here. I just got uh, in my editor's feed a little note 
the North Dakota House of Representatives today passed House Bill 1298 that would ban transgender student athletes from participating in supports. House Bill 1298 now heads to the state Senate. This bill is part of a slew of anti-LGBTQ legislation that is being heard and voted on in state legislatures across the country this week and is one of 24 anti-trans sports bills introduced across 17 states so far in 2021 as part of a national push by the far-right anti-LGBT organizations I mentioned previously. So, as you can see, even as you, as we are on the air right now, here's a piece of legislation that just got, you know, pushed right. through North Dakota. I think that, to Bryn's point, we need to find a way rapidly uh, to mitigate this. And I really don't think that uh, talking to each other or talking over each other in echo chambers is going to do anybody any good on this one particularly not with the amount of firepower here. Uh, I was uh, was watching uh, Jen Psaki's briefing when she said that, and, of course, that has been the thing that the president has absolutely uh, upheld is, you know, trans rights or human rights. Um, but I think that there's going to be some nuances with this, and I think that we rapidly need to get on top of these and get to these nuances addressed. Ultimately, what will happen is if they're not addressed now, then there's just going to be one litigation after the other across these states, and then we're going to have courts get in the middle of it. And I don't see that as a healthy resolution, especially given the number of conservative judges now sitting on these circuit courts, uh, not to mention the U.S. Supreme Court. And again, my pardon right. for interrupting you, Bryn, but I thought you guys so, should hear that. Thank you. Uh, and one thing I'll point out about these bills is that they cover – athletes from kindergarten to collegiate, through collegiate, through, the, through a full four-year you know, college athletic career. Um, laws that affect a suspect class of people have to be narrowly tailored to a specific purpose, right? Um, and that's going to be the laws as they are written, or at least as I believe they are written last time I looked, unless they've changed it significantly through amendments, um, don't fulfill that. If you are banning college athletes who are fulfilling the NCAA standards uh, and standards which have been in place for a decade uh, without incident, um, that's going to be difficult to defend in court. Um, regardless of the composition of the court. Um, but right now, uh, the the discussion has become so heated that nobody's even talking uh, really about uh, the NCAA aspect of this because then you start getting into some weird questions like, well, what happens when um, Oregon State University visits, you know, uh, some play, or, you know, some college or university in, in Oregon visits, Wyoming or Montana, right, for a meet. Well, are they going to ban the transgender athletes that's on the Oregon team? Um, right. How do you get involved? You know, you start running into some weird interstate commerce clause stuff here too. Um, 
as well as the ability for the NCAA to set its own rules, um, plus disparate impact. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll leave it to the lawyers because I'm not a lawyer, but as broad spectrum and as dumb as these right-wing laws are, they're going to eventually start running face first into facts and law. <laughs> right. Which is, which is what happened with the marriage laws as well, because <laughs> they're, um, they're these, th- these laws are based on a general quote unquote common sense. And that's how they're justified. Um, Nikki Haley's opinion piece was that way where she didn't present any facts or anything behind it. It was just, well, it's so self-evident women and uh, boys and girls are, are going to compete differently that it is just self-evident that boys have an advantage. And um, there's a paradigm there that has been set up and accepted um, even without the transgender issue coming into it that is, is kind of the core. I mean, I think, and just like with um, marriage equality, the thing that wasn't spoken out was that straight people were really threatened that the roles of men and women within a marriage would be questioned as to what the role each of them had in a marriage, that those, those roles were so firmly implanted in heteronormacy that if two people of the same gender were in a, or were in a marriage, that those roles would then not be so self-evident. And that was very threatening. And so the idea that, that boys and girls have to be so diametrically different, um, testosterone notwithstanding, um, is, is a threat. Um, the one thing that I would look at having raised two boys is when the boys were younger and they were running with girls and playing with girls and, and doing athletic things with their friends who were girls, they were not dominant. They were not running faster, running more powerfully, doing anything more than the girls that they were playing with. And so to me, there seems to be a conditioning that happens even with boys and girls that girls are, have been culturally dissuaded from being athletic so that by the time they get to high school and show their own interest in it, they have not been conditioned the way the boys have and, and prepared to do that, which to me is a factor more than necessarily what their biological predisposition might be. Um, so anyway, I just, I'm just pointing that out as a cultural foundation that, that I think needs to be addressed. And to Brody's point and Bryn, your point as well, in the middle ground that those factors need to be acknowledged rather than used against a population that, you know, isn't, <laughs> isn't either threatening it or should not be a victim of it. I, I don't know if that made sense. No, it makes sense. There are, and this is one of those situations that is complicated and there are no easy answers. There is no, oh, yeah, that's the solution, that, uh, because every option has some pretty significant negatives associated with it that are going to get highlighted pretty quickly. But uh, as to Nikki Haley's uh, article, uh, the idea that this is self-evident, well, yes, it's self-evident 
to anyone who knows absolutely nothing about the topic and has studied it in no detail whatsoever. Right. <laughs> um, which is basically is part of the course of any conservatives yeah. making policy these days. Um, sorry. Yeah, no. Did um, we just go quiet? Okay, there we go. Yeah, we just went quiet. I was, I'm, I'm done. I just wanted to point out that, that you know this, yeah. They, I said what I said. I was getting ready to jump yeah. in, but there was this long pregnant pause that I'm like, 1001, 1002. Wait, are we dead? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Brody, jump on in. What, what is your thought? I think the most important thing, too, um, and this needs to be clearly articulated uh, to lawmakers as well as, quite frankly, my profession. You know, we need to have these discussions about what the reality of being trans is. We're still dealing with too much of the right-wing narrative. And the right-wing narrative, quite frankly, and I've said this to you, Bryn, you know, they – they operate off of the ick factor. There's no semblance of humanity. There's no sense of, you know, even bothering to be educated about the issues that confront uh, the trans population across numerous subject, you know, subject matters. Um, You know, the, the idea that we have to conform to these gender models so strictly is precisely where we find ourselves having problems uh, in a society, you know, it's, 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 well, quite frankly, you know, these, uh, comments that I've seen about women's sports will be destroyed forever. Well, that's kind of misogynistic, uh, from the get go anyway, forget the trans part of it. You know, <laughs> you're, you're talk, you're making it sound as though women are unable to compete on their own, regardless of whether trans individuals or athletes are involved in the equation. You're going to destroy women's sports. I mean, I'm sorry, but it took women long enough to be able to be recognized for their achievements in sports, okay? And now some of the trans population is a threat? Yeah, I think not. Um, I think that the other part of it, too, is that we need to sit down and talk about, you know, what is the reality of the role that sports play? You know, we still don't have decent conversations about that. I mean, the American idea of sports goes, quite frankly, from one extreme to the other, but we've seen that all over the globe to with the mobs in England when it comes down to soccer, for example, and they get a little bloodthirsty. Um, I, I, oh, it's I think all that Europe. Need... It's not just England. No, I was in a bus uh, in, in Europe when the world cup was going on and there were different, um, uh, we were all part of one company, but there were different, nationalities within that bus and uh, that was quite a contentious bus ride because of who was competing in the world cup so yeah it's a it's a worldwide thing i mean it's a a global thing but i I, again i think it comes back and and bring to your point but you know we really do need to start having conversations that you know if we're going to talk about trans people in context correctly we have to talk about that in terms of gender identity okay not gender prowess okay there's too much equating that together that does a disservice to the trans folks as much as it does a you know disservice to the cis people i mean i'm sorry 
It's just that's the way it is. You, know, you you cannot sit there and equate apples and oranges. I don't give a shit what anybody says. It just cannot be done. Okay, and and this is one of the things that we need to start addressing. These bills that are coming up, okay, are horribly discriminatory. But part of them is based on the ick factor. You know, part of them is based on the fear factor. But they're all based on the ignorance factor. And right. this is something that we need to really work on. So that's my two bits. Yeah, so, I guess I, I would. I still go. Go ahead, Brent. So the documents that we do have on hand um, have made it clear, particularly stuff from Project Blitz from 2019, have made it clear that the legislative goal of the religious right is to which dominates the Republican Party at this point, is to drive transgender people from public life, remove all legal recognition of their gender identity, remove any access to joining the military, remove any access to sports, remove access to bathrooms, uh, not to acknowledge them in any sort of educational setting, um, to remove as much access to health care as possible. Um, and you see exactly those sorts of policies being enacted in um, Victor Orban's Hungary, uh, which also targets women. Fundamentally, this is a attack on transgender people, and it just happens to be what they believe is the easiest thing to go after now. And then once they create the legal ability to target trans people through these things, their intention is fully to keep on going to bathrooms and then to changing gender markers and and getting them and reinstituting a military ban and 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 um, so this is all part of their long term plan and we have to take these sorts of laws seriously as an attack on transgender people's right to be and right to be involved in public life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um I I I think it the best world would be um as as systems are addressed, you know, uh for accessibility to everyone, um that we need to look at the principles behind them. Like in the bathroom situation, to me when the first issue came up about the bathroom question was why why isn't the principle of privacy in a bathroom just the principle that is at hand? It's like I would like to go into a restroom and have privacy no matter who, what the genders are of the other people in that bathroom. And it doesn't matter what the other genders are if I have privacy. I mean, it's sort of this reverse paradigm of, you know, I, I need to not have privacy from people who are deemed gender okay for me not to have privacy from and it it didn't make sense to me and in this situation um, we have a gender biased system um, that is set up and the question is how do we open that system up to allow people who are literally transitioning in that you know in in the gender spectrum and it's it, it's so it does go down 
to the question of was that a good idea to begin with that the system is genderized? Uh, Bryn, what, what do you think about that? So, I mean, this is just a continuation of the same culture war that we were fighting in 2016 with HB2 uh, in North Carolina. Um, it's based on fear and ignorance and a dedication to waging a culture war rather than to setting good public policy. Uh, it's a part of the overall attempt to uh, create a society with as few transgender people as possible. Uh, this needs to be opposed, and I am very, very worried. Brody makes a point that is absolutely correct that after four years, 33% um, of the judiciary is controlled by Trump appointees, and every case that gets put in front of them involving trans people is another opportunity for us to lose ground. Um, and it's absolutely unnecessary, given uh, the fact what we've seen uh, when – the IOC and other leagues have allowed trans people to compete. Nothing has happened. Right. Um, the trans athletes at high schools are extremely rare. Uh, Fairfax County, one of the largest public school districts in America, had its first transgender athlete, uh, out transgender athlete ever the past two years, and he's a trans guy who is a coxswain on the crew team. Um, so this is not something that is happening commonly. In most cases, the vast majority of cases, this is fear, and this is based off of a solution looking for a problem. And right. it's just like marriage predicting, just like them predicting that uh, letting gay people get married would end marriage. Uh, letting transgender people in sport has happened for 10 years now at, at the collegiate level and nothing. Did you know that the NBA has no rules uh, for or against transgender athletes? <laughs> that's wild and unfortunately that yeah. is all the time we have today so that is going to be our final word on it which is a great a great rhetorical point right there so um Bryn thank you so much for your expertise and your your viewpoint you're so valued here and we appreciate every time you're on Brody thank you for everything you do and I want to thank our listeners for tuning in each week um please continue to do that Tell your friends, subscribe to our podcast. Um, we value you. Plus, we will be back here again next week with a, um, another great topic, I'm sure. I have no idea what it is, but I can tell you it will be great. And you will want to be here, and we will be here for you. Until then, thank you for listening, and have a great week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 